All right, we're gonna try again. <laughs> and we're I gonna do now. <laughs> okay, so where we were was Dana was clarifying. So the the program that they're using is Spire, and it was sixty minutes. the The program definition is sixty minutes a day, five days a week. So that's fidelity for the program. The school is insisting that they can only implement thirty minutes a day. Understood using Spire and um, what's recommended. Um, uh, and she's asking how you negotiate that or what do you do? Um, yeah, she was, how do you reconcile that? You know, you have this fidelity statement and the school's basic, in her case, the school's giving her half. Understood. And um, I mean, first of all, you know, kind of the same thing I said, you know, just um, make sure it's in the deliberations that you know, you know what it says should be done for fidelity. And, uh, and also if um, it says, I, I doubt it says this, but if it, it, it explains why in the handbook, that would be helpful. And that that's what you want, uh, get the prior written notice, all of those things. Um, the problem is that um, you're only getting a certain um, that fits out with the program recommendations for fidelity versus what is what we're talking about and um because the argument on the other side is going to be you know we're no we're not going with their recommendations but we are still providing faith and so that yes. that's the argument you're going to have and in order to figure that out um you have to basically have some and figure out what the difference is your voice is fading out a little bit by the way you can't hear me now now I can. Oh, okay. <laughs> I probably just got quiet. <laughs> um, I know. Well, I'm, you know, and you said something earlier. And from my point of view, what I argue is when, I, when I'm at the table, at least, is I'm like, if my son didn't have dyslexia, he would be performing here. So, but he happens to have dyslexia. He, you know, remediation is not a mythical unicorn that cannot be achieved. Full remediation is perfectly, can happen, is perfectly expected by parents, is, you know, it, it's not this intangible, unobtainable thing. Um, so where I always am is I'm like pushing back going, if he didn't have dyslexia, he would be, you know, reading at this level you're not pushing him to that point. So therefore you're not providing him what he needs to be, what he should be having based on his ability. And absolutely, I, I would push back. Um, <clears throat> no, I I would, I guess I was, um, the argument about the fate versus the, the implementation to fidelity, um, I would try to turn that around and use it kind of you did in your favor. And um, another, because I know in Texas, the dyslexia program um, seems to be by region, and so contacting. Um, so, so perhaps if that's how I don't know where this person is from. She's um, in Georgia, actually. Okay, so I'm not. I don't know if they do regions like we do. But I, don't, I don't think so. I think we're the only weird ones that do. That. <laughs> um, so it might. 
or I mean, even if they don't, um, it might be authorized by the region or something. The region might have some some hand in it. And so contacting, you know, the region itself and asking, you know, to talk to the person who coordinates dyslexia or who, you know, the teachers or whoever calls for questions about dyslexia and getting the information there and letting them know it's what's going on, you know, can provide you some more information um, and you know, put some more stuff in your arsenal. So when you go to the R meeting, you have that information. You know, I've, I've already contacted, I talked to so-and-so, this is what she said. Here's the email that she wrote me. And um, because some of, at least in Texas, sometimes these uh, regions are very proud of the dyslexia programs that they support. And so knowing that, can you hear me? Sorry. And so, you know, it's information regarding non-implementation um, and reporting that to them might be um, might be helpful um, to kind of light a fire. Yeah, and she's saying, unfortunately, um, the person that kind of controlled it was in the IEP meeting, and she was refusing program fidelity. The per the regional person or the person. Yeah. Their, their district person, whoever's in charge. And who controlled it. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, again, and then you can also, um, uh, you said Spire. Um, I, mm -hmm. I don't know that program. Um, it's always helpful to have information on the program. I know uh, a lot of these programs have websites that tell about their program and tell how awesome they are and they have numbers. I've called different programs before and just kind of said I was a parent, which I am and asked about, you know, what happens if this happens? What happens if that happens? And, you know, if you kind of Pollyanna, um, Pollyanna it, you would be surprised how much information you can get out of the providers of the actual program. So I'm I agree with that. <laughs> I do that. I'm a little sneaky. And you, you never know when they're going to give you a little tidbit that's going to be helpful yeah. um, that pertains to your kid. Right. No, I have I have played stupid many times in a negotiation just to get somebody to say something that I, I think that's how like, I yeah. <laughs> you can act stupid long enough, you can usually lure them into something because they're like they're like, Oh, she's so stupid, she's not gonna understand it even if I say it, and then they say it and I'm like, Gotcha. <laughs> I am very uh if you Playing to people's um, egos is, is helpful. And so, yeah, I'll, I'll call the, you know, say it's Squire or Spire or whatever. I'm sorry, Spire. Yeah. And to just ask, you know, ask about the program. They've got people who are just there to answer your questions and have, you know, do the get them to send you stuff. Like, so why should it be an hour a day? How does that make sense? And, you know, don't tell them you're fighting with the school over it, but just, you know, they'll, they'll give you something maybe. So here's another question. How do you get FAPE when a, and if we already did this one, remind me, but I don't think we did. How do you get FAPE when a child is medically diagnosed with a learning disability and the, and the school declares it's only a mild restriction of performing a major life activity. Therefore, the student is not identified with a disability under 504 or IDEA. Okay. Um, this happens a lot. Mostly, uh, I see this a lot with, um, Autism and uh, specific learning disabilities, I'm sure there are others. Those are the ones I see it the most with, where um, a parent goes to an outside um, the person and gets this diagnosis. Um, for learning disabilities, a lot of the time you're going to be using some sort of, you know, uh, I guess it'd be an LSSP or um, a 
you know, school psychologist that has at least the credentials that the um, that the school psychologist at the school has. So they will um, go through and do more of an educational assessment. Um, autism is a little different. So um, the uh, or um, let's talk about let's talk about both of them first of all. So of course um, you know this um, the medical diagnostic criteria saying the DSM or whatever, is different than the educational diagnostic criteria. Um, so there are you know, different things at play. And a lot of times I have this, especially with autism, you know, the parent got a autism diagnosis at three years old and the school is saying, you know, no. And the reason for that is because, you know, for the educational criteria to be met, uh, the child has to have the disability we, we got that, and um, also has to be in need of those services to be a child with a disability. And then, and we have that with the uh, specific learning disability as well. But on top of that, with the specific learning disability, um, they uh, there, there's an IQ test as part of the evaluation, and there are different um, measures for different uh, portions or whatever of the IQ, you know, crystallized intelligence, uh, working memory, long-term, short-term memory. And uh, so you have a student, uh, first of all, a student has to have um, average IQ for, you know, a specific learning disability to be um, a maybe. And then you have, to, you know, you have you know, the usually it's the KTEA, just some sort of test, let's say reading, you know, he's really low in reading or she. And then you have to have these um, other criteria under the IQ be met. So um, whichever, you know, whichever criteria, you know, the crystallized intelligence, working memory, whichever one lines up with that specific, specific learning disability, they have to match up. So let's say, and this isn't right, because I don't remember all of them, let's say, um, uh, low processing, you know, some processing uh, speed, yeah, is uh, correlated with a learning disability in math, and those line up. Then the kid would be diagnosed, or by the school, it would be recommended that disability in math. But if those don't line up, and there's not a deficit in that processing speed or whatever it is, then um, he's not going to be recommended by the school to meet that criteria. Okay, that was really long, and so if you want to ask me to like repeat anything or slow down, um, yeah, that was a lot. So uh, I I can give you an example. So I know one family who their daughter qualified for did not qualify for an IEP. Okay, according to the school evaluation. They did put the child on a 504 and the district did start doing evaluations or sorry, um, in school remediation, right? However, the child started significantly regressing. Okay. So progress wasn't being made. The child is falling further and further behind, you know, cause you can't stop time. Time keeps moving forward. Grades keep progressing. Right. Um, the child is now more than a year and a half behind. By balanced literacy scales, the child should have been labeled at significant risk a year and a half ago, but yet they were denied the, I, the IEP. We met with the diagnosticians attempting to restart the process and 
um, the diagnostician was like, I'm not expecting anything different this round. And it was like, but you have a child that's regressing further and further behind and you think that your evaluation didn't show any strengths and weaknesses, it only showed strengths, but if the child is significantly struggling, how can you justify what's going on here? And, and so what the diagnostician is saying is that, you know, we did that IQ test and whatever um, points of intelligence we tested, uh, you know, the processing speed, working memory, whatever it was, um, everything was labeled as a strength. And so there were no deficits um, in those areas to correlate with a, an, a specific learning disability. And, and those aren't going to change. Is that what she was saying? Basically, yes. And okay. they did acknowledge that she had dyslexia, but not that she had an SLD. Okay. And um, there's you know, back and forth, like, is dyslexia an SLD? Is it not an SLD? And uh, we had a, there was a case in Copper's Cove recently where um, the court came, or the, the, it was a district court came down and said that it should be an SLD. And then um, at some point, I talked to it got appealed. So it's, it's in appeals right now. And um, it, it makes sense that there would be a lack of correlation um, for dyslexia. And I think that is something we are going to be seeing more and more and more of. Um, we'll see how this Copper's Cove case comes down. Um, I would suggest, you know, you've got this um, FIE. I don't know how old it is. It sounds like it's about a, a more than a year old. And, you know, you ask for another um, evaluation. They refused it. You need prior written notice for that, by the way, that refusal, you know that. And, um, uh, and if... Uh, I would ask for an IEE. A lot of times, the IEE is more than a year old. They're going to definitely fight back on that. But I would uh, ask for that, and um, you know, so you can get an outside yeah. on it. Because I mean, she says it's not going to change. Then guess what? She's right. It's not going to change. Um, I mean, I, and that doesn't mean that. You know, she, it's just not going to change. <laughs> her her report is not going to change. Probably, I, I doubt right. it. So um, getting another person to do, you know, to make sure she was right is uh, definitely something I would do. Okay. So we had a couple more questions for you, and I know that we want to get to an additional topic too. So um, our private pro that I can't say that word, our private parochial schools required or even suggested to help pay for tutoring for dyslexia dyscalculia. My son has been at this school for three years and has continually fallen behind without teachers reaching out to us. We finally have a diagnosis, but is the school partially or mostly responsible for letting my son who continually fell behind and they didn't offer interventions until I said that we've had enough and insisted on an IEP? Okay. Um, so we're talking about a private parochial school. So I'm assuming, um, big assumption that the school does not receive federal funds because um, generally private uh, you know elementary schools um, and secondary schools don't receive private funds uh, which means that they are not subject to the IDEA so you don't get those protections however you, you do get protections under the ADA and um, not as many of course but there are certain accommodations that um, the, the kids can get you know, diagnosed with a disability. Um, as far as services, um, 
Um, from what I, I, I don't deal a lot with private schools, but I seem to remember some um, the law saying something uh, to the effect of they can provide them, but if they don't, they have to allow the parent to pay for it. Um, and I'm not sure of you know the um, ins and outs of that, but um, but they can't just you know kick you out basically, um, or they usually can't. Um, so, uh, but again, you know we're we're assuming that this school doesn't receive private funds, and um, a recent pickup um, is in this pandemic situation and the federal government has issued uh, it's 13 billion dollars um, for elementary and secondary schools and um, other funding for uh, higher education to be split between the states and allocated in a very confusing manner and um, some of that money and i just did a bunch of research on this, obviously, stuff on this out recently, um, is being allocated for private schools. And I think that the private school can choose to take it or not. And I'm not sure exactly how that's going to play out uh, with respect to federal funding and being subject to the IDEA, but I will bet you that there will be a lot of attorneys like me who will argue that it does subject the private schools to the IDEA. So yeah. um, I am curious to see how that goes. And uh, it's a very good situation. So. I know that, so we were originally in private school here in the greater Houston area. Uh, when we suspected dyslexia, they, they, they received no federal funds. When we started to suspect dyslexia, we were told that there were numerous dyslexic children at the school and we were allowed to bring in a tutor during the day to work with him specifically on his dyslexia. But beyond allowing me to bring in a tutor during the day, they were not going to do anything at all. And that's generally what, what you're going to get, again, unless they are getting funds from the federal government, which it's generally unlikely, but you know, maybe we'll see more of it. Um, some of them do. Some of them do, and institutes of higher institutions of higher education are, are totally different. You make um, arguments based on financial aid, so. um, but yeah, that, that seems like what you're going to get. Yeah. So, um, what is FAPE for or specific learning disability? First, but eight. It's really broad. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go back to, you know, what, what, what is, isn't FAPE and, right. um, and, you know, again, the, uh, the course is focused on progress, what kind of progress is being made, um, you know, what kinds of services are needed um, for, you know, to uh, educate the student with the specific learning disability. And also there are um, the LRE requirements, least restrictive environment, things like that, that definitely go into determining whether the, the child is getting FAPE. Um, so it, it, it's very broad. Um, I think you're, we're probably talking more about, you know, what services should be provided and um, that is going to be an art committee decision and it's going to be, it's supposed to be individualized based on the child, what the child needs um, and um, so again, it's extremely subjective and um, 
comes down to uh, what a hearing officer says faith is if you go to due process, which I know most people don't want to do. Um, so again, I would look at progress reports and that's gonna be you know, the main telltale sign of whether your child is getting faith. Um, the services are great, but you can't really focus on what services make faith. Um, you have to look at the progress and if it is not progress, then maybe there needs to be more services to make faith. And so it's all, it's all very interrelated, but that's where I would, um, where I would go. So we had a question from Cheryl. Can the school ignore the IEE provider's recommendation for placement, regular ed with support and accommodations, but school says no, and they offer SDC, which I asked what that was. And she said, special day class. I'm wondering if that's, that's a resource room. Um, resource or a functional, um, functional skills, life skills type okay. on how old the kid is. Okay. So for an IE, ignore, no, they can't ignore it. Um, they, um, but it, it's not much better than that. Uh, so, uh, sorry, uh, but they have to consider it. And so then you get into what does consider mean, you know, did, you know, did they, did the school say blatantly, I'm ignoring this and I'm not taking this into account. Was it, you know, was it uh, talked about the, you know, and, and really look at, you know, was it considered, what, you know, did the school consider this? Did the art committee have these discussions about it? And, you know, to go through the art meeting and they are refusing to look at it and talk about it, then, um, then, you know, about it, uh, ask for something to be put into deliberations. Uh, the main thing is to just document those things um, because um, if it's not documented, I mean, you know, it's great to say something happened, but if it's not, not documented, your chance of proving that something happened are so <laughs> So, yeah. So we did kind of want to switch subjects based on something that just came up, which is, now, now I'm looking for the actual letter itself. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull it up as, as well, because I wanna. Oh, it's up already, I think. Okay. Right, so, okay. All right. And I'm getting old, so my font is a little bit too small. A letter was sent on May 27th to Mitch McConnell, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and Kevin McCarthy from AASA, the School Superintendents Associ Association, the Association of School Business Officials International, the Council of Administration of Special Education, the National Association of State Directors of Special Education, the National Association of School Psychologists and the National School Boards Association. So this is one letter sent by these groups together. It's not that, it's not even that long of a letter. I mean, it's one, two, three, four, five. It's six paragraphs long. Mm -hmm. This is some of the most convoluted language I've ever read. And I'm, I'm not a lawyer like you, but I've spent my entire life dealing with legal contracts and negotiations and I'm pretty good at the language. And I just, I know the first time I read it, I was like, wait a minute, what did I just read? I'm very confused. Um, 
it, it's, there's so many other things that go into this letter that aren't stated, um, you know, just by way of explanation. Um, so, um, do you want me to tell you what the, do you want me to talk about the letter or just generally? Yeah, try to, try to summarize the letter real quick into, I mean, what is the letter trying to ask for? Um, okay, so let me, let me set it up first. Um, I'm gonna try to do this without talking forever. Um, so, um, under federal law, um, the Code of Federal Regulations, the states have a, um, a requirement that, um, and this is, this is related to IDEA Part B funds, and that's just a, a class of funds that the federal government gives to the states. The states actually the subgrant. States have to apply for it, and the federal government gives them the grant so long as they are providing faith to all of their students. Um, and um, there's a requirement for states, and it basically says you have to, um, your whatever your level of spending is on special education, um, the following year, it has to be that much or more. You can't reduce your spending. Or if you do, then you have to give the federal government back um, the amount of the shortfall up to the amount of the Plan B funds that the federal government. So, in other words, if you say you're going to spend a hundred thousand dollars, so you get a hundred thousand dollars, but you only spend eighty, you have to return twenty thousand. Um, I don't know that the federal government funds. Uh, I don't think they they match up with the amount that you spent. I'm sure there's some way to do it. Maybe they do, but it doesn't appear that they have to match up. But let's just say the federal government gives you ten thousand dollars, and you say you're going to spend. Um, you know, a hundred thousand dollars, like you said, and you only spend ninety thousand dollars, then you would have to give them their ten thousand dollars back. Okay. Um, however, if you only spent eighty and your shortfall was twenty percent, you would still only have to give them their ten thousand dollars back. So okay. it's up to the amount that they gave you under Plan B. Okay. Now there are exceptions uh, for this, like what you know funds go into it. Um, the Secretary of Education um, can provide a waiver to the states. And there are a lot of procedural safeguards that go into that. There has to be evidence. There has to be a hearing. It's a very high, clear and convincing standard that the, the states are still going to be able to provide FAPE. A lot of things go into that. So just to kind of start off, that that's what the state requirement is. Now, they also have a local school district requirement that is similar. Um, there are differences uh, in the way it's calculated. And I don't think I need to get into that. But, there, but it is somewhat similar. However, there's no way. And it, it doesn't say that the Secretary of Education can waive this requirement, this spending, you know, successive spending requirement. Um, like if she she can uh, waive it for the states. Um, along with that, you know, I mentioned that the states have that ability to apply for the waiver, um, and local school districts do not. But in the uh, the state, the law pertaining to the state waiver as all the procedural safeguards. It's it's a very long list of evidence they have to give the secretary and then they get um, you know, people public um, people from the public can come and testify about you know, are they getting paid, you know, can the state get paid, are they gonna be able to, and then they make a decision on it. And 
meets, again, the, it's a clear and convincing standard, which is a really high standard of proof that the state has to meet. So then you come over to this local rule that's somewhat similar, that doesn't have any of this, this waiver, um, but it also does, doesn't include all these procedural safeguards, you know, the hearing, the, the standard, the, um, there's another um, part in there, uh, in the one pertaining to the states where if you have a shortfall one year, let's say you're $10,000 under one year, the next year um, you don't get to to just beat the lower number. Um, you, you go back to the number you should have had. Uh, so you were supposed to spend, you know, $20,000, you only spent 10. The following year, you don't get to spend, you know, $11,000. You have to spend at least 20 stuff. You were supposed to spend 20. So they ha even if there's a waiver, and again, none of this is in those local requirements. And uh, I'm trying to make this confusing, <laughs> sorry. Right. And so um, basically what, this letter is doing is it's saying, um, hey, you've got, uh, you know, Secretary of Education. She can give waivers for the states, and that's great. And um, but she said she wouldn't. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we saw those waivers. And so, um, but um, she can't give waivers for the local education agencies, like the districts. And so we want those. And that's basically it. They, they want a waiver um, that's not, you know, because it, it says specifically in the letter that there's not a waiver for local school districts like there is for the state, which we don't have. And um, so, uh, yeah, so that's what it's what it's asking. And it, it's, it's problematic um, for a number of reasons. Um, I, for me, it's problematic because I live in Texas, and um, we just had a, a lawsuit, or the federal government just had um, won a lawsuit against the state of Texas where they had a shortfall, and basically the state of Texas said, no, it's not really a shortfall because our, you know, <laughs> the amount we need to spend to provide safety just went down, and is it true? <laughs> we just had the whole yeah. And um, the Fifth Circuit uh, basically said, no, that's that's not the way this works. It's a monetary amount. You don't get to. Yeah. And Tex Texas owes like two hundred and thirty three million or something back to the federal government. I, I, I know that this one case was thirty three million. I, I don't know about like other things, but this was, hey, you owe the federal government thirty three million in Part B funds. And so. Right, but that that was just like the first like payment that they had to do like out of the big like oh, really? whopping sum or something. Or I, I'm sure. I mean, it's um, so all by way of saying that you know this waiver thing kind of bothers me on uh, on a big level, but especially yeah. for Texas, and you know I'm sure this has happened in other states since we just had you know, this whole thing where Texas got popped for this and now we're going to give them a waiver for this. It, um, or a right. And so, um, you know, being able to, and, uh, you know, there's no procedural safeguards. Like what they're writing this letter asking for it. Well, what needs to happen before a waiver is granted that's not provided for? Right. So yeah, a lot of unknowns. Yeah. It was 277 million in fines. God. Yeah. So 
the way that I read the letter was that all of these superintendents or districts or however you want to classify it were saying that special education staff was reallocated for other things. Yes, there's that too. <laughs> so, you know, again, let's use our $100,000 because it's a nice, even, round, divisible number. So, you know, a district has $100,000 in funding and, you know, 10,000 of it was for the staff and 10,000 of it was for this service directly related to special education and 10,000 of it was related to this other service. Mm -hmm. But because COVID happened, staff were reallocated, certain services, you know, weren't supposed to go away, but they did go away. And, you know, the, basically they were going to spend $100,000 if the school year hadn't ended the way that the school year did. But instead of spending $100,000, they only spent $70,000 of what they were given. Mm -hmm. And they spent that $30,000 when they reallocated everything on other COVID related things. And they want to be neither fined nor penalized. So they don't want to have to pay it back and they want the same year money or same amount of money year after year. And, and I guess I, I should have, um, I'm not sure if I specifically stated this with, with respect to those laws that we're talking about, you know, the expenditures they have to make related to special education services. I, I should have nailed that down a little bit better. And I wanted to, I'm going to pull something up. So um, let me show you just um, real quick. I wanted to look, um, there was something I did see. And so in March of 2020, because um, there's been a lot of guidance that, that's come out related to COVID and, and everything. And uh, the DOE, the Department of Education, specifically said, you know, earlier this year, they, they identified what the, the Part B funds could be used for. And this, this isn't talking about the, the state expenditures and, and things, but they, they specifically identified you know, activities that directly relate to providing and ensuring the continuity of SPED services, um, dissemination of health information for children with disabilities. So it all has to relate, you know, it, it might be, co you know, because of COVID, but it still um, has to relate to children with disabilities. So, and, and yeah, I mean, it, it, federal government has, has said several times, like, we still have to do all these things and yeah. yet, you know, we are persistent. So <laughs> they are persistent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, again, it was just this amazingly convoluted letter and, you know, myself and a couple of others read it and we had this conversation string going on. It's like, did I read that correctly? <laughs> and I, I'm thinking that one of the reasons uh, it's convoluted <laughs> Um, could be because there's absolutely no law that allows for a waiver. Um, right. which is, I mean, there, there's really nothing, you know, not, not a lot of legal stuff to put in there, no case law, nothing like that, because there's no waiver. Right. And um, I, I don't know if it's going to happen. I hope it doesn't. But, um, and, you know, and I understand we've got a lot going on and, um, you know, some flexibility for schools and kind of, you know, understanding. I am definitely not saying that that it's not hard and that you know we shouldn't be flexible. That that's not. But providing this just kind of um, this flexibility without any limits or something like that, and I, and I don't know what what that would look like. Um, yeah, the, the letter itself frightens me. So um, yeah, yeah. Well, 
you know, and I can't remember, you, you may remember what state it is. I think it's up east where a group of parents filed a class action lawsuit against their school district, or maybe it's even against their whole state education agency because their autistic children have been denied services to such a degree that their children are significantly regressing. And they're going, you weren't given a waiver. You can't just automatically deny our children what they're legally entitled to and you have, and our children are suffering as a result. Uh, yeah, I think they did a similar one for children with dyslexia too, didn't they? In like New York something, it was- I'm not sure. You know, and one, one thing that we have said here significantly at, at DI is, you know, yes, we need to give grace. Yes, we need to have understanding. You know, nobody's prepared for this. Nobody. But that doesn't mean that our children should be denied their educational access. If general education curriculums are going to continue and continue to build upon subjects and advance and progress and do all the things that they're supposed to, to do, then so should dyslexia intervention and remediation. That doesn't mean reviewing old material. That means continuing to provide new material. That means continuing to support our children the way that they need to be supported. Yeah, and I think um, several groups uh, come out and said, you know, these funds should be allocated to help the children who are going to suffer the most. You know, the, the children who need it the most and the children who need it the most, um, you know, some of the one set of those children is um, our children with disabilities. Um, and that I, I understand flexibility, like, like you do, but not at the expense of our most vulnerable, in my opinion, most vulnerable population. Right, yeah. definitely. So is there any, any last thoughts on the letter that you wanna oh, share? So many thoughts, I probably shouldn't say them. Uh, <laughs> um, let me let me let me look briefly at the letter again, just so I can see if I have any last thoughts. I, I well, any reference the Texas education? No, never mind. That was the Fister. That was the Fist Circuit Court. Sorry, I'm reading the wrong headline. Yeah. <laughs> the notes. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I think we covered it and you definitely hit on the, um, the you know, moving money around and, um, get, you know, hopefully the federal government will provide some more relief, a lot more relief. I think they asked for between higher education of 50 billion or 70 or something and um, didn't get nearly what they asked for. And so, you know, I know, I know the schools are hurting. I know they need they need the money and totally get it. But I also know that our most vulnerable population our with disabilities are hurting as well, and they need their services. So um, we can't just forget about it. Okay. Any final thoughts on our original topic, FAPE, before um, we end as well? Um, yeah, just brief, if you don't mind. Just no. Briefly, um, just kind of wanted to touch on. Um, actually, made a. I'm not gonna. You know, I'll send it to you if you want it. But a demonstrative. I'm kind of a geek. Um, exhibit to kind of just put together. You know, the different elements of the IEP because we have a lot. It seems like we got a lot of questions on. You know, how do we argue that this is happening? How do we argue that this is happening? And so I wanted to focus just real briefly on the the nature of the IEP as 
holistic document that's interrelated and one section depends on the other and it can't you can't just take one section you can't just have the gold you can't have this so and i think you know we start with the plastic which is where you are and i definitely think that that gets disregarded sometimes because it's boring <laughs> And then we, you know, from there we go to the goals and everywhere the PLAF statement shows a need, we have goals. And there, you know, based on the goals, we determine the services, what are mm -hmm. the appropriate services to meet the goals. And then we get to the progress reports, which filters back into, guess what we look at for the next class, the progress reports. And so it just kind of goes around and around and around. So just wanted to emphasize that interrelated nature of, of the whole thing, that it all hinges on all the parts being appropriate. You can't have really bad flaps and get really good goals. You can't have really bad good bad goals and get the right services. Yeah. It doesn't or it shouldn't work. So um yeah. And that's, that's a really important distinction because I think you know we as a community focus so much on writing a good goal. But you're absolutely right. I mean if your plaf statement's like the kid's doing great can't get need goals. Yeah, can <laughs> goals for every need and then you know and around and around and around. Then we have, you also have transition plan, which comes later for me and some other parents. So, yeah. But um, yeah, that was all I was going to say. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us. I'm sorry to our audience that we've had technical issues and we had to stop and restore. <laughs> it, it will be, it will make, um, so I think I'm going to have to do a post where I, you know, have both videos on it at the same time so people can know that they're together but we'll fix them but thanks again for joining us holly i look forward to the andrew conversation that we're going to have in august i do too i do too i think that that should be fun and kind yeah. of look at some of those cases that came down afterwards yeah but for the most part um we usually sign off for summer so this is our last at this moment planned session for the summer but COVID has created a new world for us and we kind of don't know what to expect. Um, we don't plan on broadcasting anything necessarily, but that doesn't mean that we're not here because we are absolutely here. And, um, you know, if y'all have needs, ideas, questions, et cetera, just flag them and we will address them. And if some major league topic comes up, then I'll reach out to Holly and go, hey, do you have time? <laughs> I always have time. <laughs> <laughs> But otherwise, everybody have a great summer and we will pick up with um, the videos that we're sharing in the fall. Bye. Bye.